Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day was said by Picasso. Everything you can imagine is real. Hello, everyone. My name is Addie Hirschen. I'm the contemporary impressionist painter, teacher with the Indianapolis Art Center, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you and help you move forward. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist and teacher Sonia Brooks and the story of the vinegar bottle. Sonia Brooks is the founder of the Sisopramedum Art Foundation in Lexington, Kentucky. Sisopramedum is the word metamorphosis spelled in reverse. SAF Incorporated helps create a metamorphosis in the lives of children through participation in the arts. Its mission is to help children develop into independent, creative, and responsible members of the community. Sonia Brooks teaches art to children at its popular art club, summer camps, and community outreach programs. Find out more about her work at www.artforedu.org. That's A-R-T, the number four, edu.org. I met Sonia at the 19, uh, sorry, 1950, what century are we in? (laughs) (laughs) At the 2015... (laughs) (laughs) Kentucky Storytelling Conference and found her to be such an exciting and interesting person. I just knew I wanted to have her on this show. So welcome, Sonia. Well, thank you. (laughs) And you, you're jumping back to 19 something or other. And I just signed a piece of artwork 2016 um, and saw it numerous times. And finally, you know, I don't know, might've been a day later. I had that image in my brain when I was doing something to follow up. And I thought, did I really sign that 2016? I did. I did. So I made everything else that went with it 2016. What the heck? Oh my goodness. Some of us are in the past and some of us are in the future. So maybe we can meet in the middle. That's right. We'll we'll work it out. Oh, all right. Well, it's great to have you here, Sonia. So we'll start in with the first question. Okay. What's the story of how you became an artist? Well, I'm going to say something first that it's not, and that is that I really didn't do art when I was a kid. I'm always impressed when I hear people say, oh, I did art when I was a kid, and I just kept doing it, and I loved it. I read books when I was a kid. I don't remember doing much art or even liking art particularly, but at some point in either late in college or right after college, I started exploring. I wanted to do something creative, Mm. so I started exploring various art forms, taking classes. It was not my major um, in college. Uh, I did, I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, and um, so a lot of things were accessible, like like they would be at other places, but there was something there like the textile museum. So I took a a workshop on rug hooking, which Mm. was great fun, and it wasn't little cut pieces, it was that continuous yarn process of rug hooking. Mm. 
Okay. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do that forever. Well, no, I didn't. I did a few pieces and I was done. And I took pottery from a studio potter for about a year. And I thought, oh, that's it. I'm going to do pottery. And we're going to have a little studio in the house. And mm, I didn't ever materialize. Um, oh, and I did a watercolor class and various things. But it was really sometime later. I I'm actually, I'm going to give away my age, although I don't always talk about it, but I was probably started exploring in my 20s, and it was 1992 when I would have been about 40-something, and I, I was trying to figure out what art form I was going to do that might stick. Nothing was sticking as mm. the thing I loved, mm. and I happened to see a book about making greeting cards, and something about that book just... It just struck a note with me because I collect a lot of scraps of stuff and I like fabric and I love paper and fabric. And so I bought this book about making cards and I realized then that collage was what I wanted to do. That was something that would stick with me because it let me use things. It let me use paint. It let me use scraps of paper, which my favorite thing is paper. It let me use bits and pieces and let me put something together. And it was loose and somewhat unconfined in a way I thought for me painting wasn't um, so I really somewhere along in the mid 90s mm. I declared myself an artist because I found something I really wanted to do okay. and I loved it and um, and I kept doing it and then I joined with some friends who were kind of new to doing art we were emerging artists and we three women and we threw ourselves um, an art exhibit and we were women to the third power. And we, started, <laughs> we started having a couple of art exhibits and and because we were just proud of what we were doing and having fun, um, which was pretty key. And I didn't know if it was good or not, but it was what I wanted to do. And I knew I had found what I wanted to work with. So I probably would say I... I, I did all this exploring and I became an artist finally in the probably 92, 93 is when I said, uh, you know what, this is what I want to do. But it never was my full time job. But I always felt like it was it started out kind of being therapy. Um, but I realized it was more than that. But I used to joke and say, I've got to go do my therapy now and I'd go make art. Since then, I've always said I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm other things, too. But that's when it really became something I claimed. All right. All right. So I'm curious about something you said. You didn't know whether your art was good or not. Not not that it really mattered. And and I like that, but I'm wondering what does make a piece of art good? You know, what makes it successful or not? Do you have an opinion on that? Oh. I suppose I have an opinion, but I don't know that it's it might go from piece to piece. I know there's guidelines and there's all kinds of things about design um, and if it's balanced and I and I try to learn about those and understand it. And yet I'll see something myself that I think is really cool and the next person will say, well, that really isn't a good design and that's... Mm. So I, I don't think I'm a good... I'm not a good judge on what makes it good, honestly. Um, and even... You know, seeing some of the works in the museum, I worked part time in an art museum, mm -hmm. seeing some of the things, um, you know, like the uh, without trying to name names of artists, but an orange square. I mean, mm -hmm. why 
I would people would come in and say, what makes that good? And even though I had my training in the museum and all, I want to go, yeah, what's so good about that? <laughs> it's an orange square, for heaven's sake. It's, yeah. or it's, it splatters on a canvas. Hmm. I mean, I know there's context and the timing and, you know, somebody's new at doing it and all of that. But I, I think people get a little hyper <laughs> on some of the some of the criteria for what's good art because some things just become popular and people mm -hmm. like them mm -hmm. and maybe the critics think they're horrible but the public thinks they're great um or vice versa yeah or vice versa <laughs> exactly or vice versa exactly yeah. so i i don't know necessarily what makes it good honestly when i'm working with children or adults for that matter who are, who are making art i basically try to get them to to think about what it means to them and if it yes. means something to somebody else and somebody else thinks it's good or it's got the right whatever then wonderful yeah. but it should mean something to them first yes and, yes and so that's that's kind of where i stay a lot right right yeah i love that i love that They've it's a challenge for me to be a judge for something mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. i'll be asked to jury something like a, a high school art competition oh, and then I yeah. have to think about the work I'm looking at and was it executed with you know whatever or is it is it original or and so it makes me think about those qualities and yet I kind of hate to do it because right. they're so individual yeah, um, yeah. I agree um, it's painful yeah. process it's a painful <laughs> process. Yes. We don't want to do it. But yeah, that's. I think that could be a great criteria to say, well, a piece of artwork is good if the creator of it enjoyed the process, it said mm -hmm. what they want to say. I know that for some of my artwork, not all of it, but some of it I'm trying to make a statement, like a maybe a political statement or something like that, where I really want the viewer to understand and to, yes. and to get the message. And, and I feel like if I, they don't get the message, then, ooh, okay, maybe that wasn't as successful in that instance for the yeah. work that's trying to go in that direction. But, yes, yeah, something yeah. I think about a lot. So, yeah, thanks hmm. for your thoughts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what's the story of the uh, CISO Promedium Art Foundation? And you've got to say it for us to make sure that we're saying okay. it right. Okay, okay. <laughs> It's um well it's cisopromatum. You were right almost right on the mark oh, there. Okay. And sometimes people look at it and they just say, Oh, that you can't say that and I say, Well just break it down in the syllables and that's that's how you got so close to it too. It's cis and it's just our choice. It is metamorphosis spelled backwards and we say cisopromatum. Um some people Try it and they say cisopromatum, which is okay. We just chose mate. M-A-T-E is in there. We chose matum, cisopromatum. And we actually are in Lexington. Um, most of our work, um, we were founded in Lexington, and most of our programs are right here. Although some people come from out of the city, um, most of our program is focused in, in Lexington. Okay. Um, it, it really started when... Uh, my husband and I came to Lexington from the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, he has family roots here. And we ended up moving here in, well, we ended up getting a building here in 1996, opening a commercial art gallery in 1998. And because we wanted to do uh, things with children and be, a, be uh, available for programming, we started doing community service kinds of things. We just considered it a responsibility or good citizenship for us okay. to be involved with um, 
young people in teaching. And as we kept volunteering and going out to community events and doing things, people started thinking we really were a nonprofit. Um, we would joke sometimes and say, well, yeah, we are because the business isn't making any money. But, <laughs> but along the way, a couple of artists said, you know, you really should just form a nonprofit. Um, a, a charitable group, which is what Ciso Promatum Art Foundation is, and they recommended that because um, we were doing so many community things, and they weren't. We were doing them free, um, mm. and we were paying for them, and so they felt like, well, you can apply for grants, and people will donate money, um, and they do. That's still not as easy as it sounds, mm. but um, that's exactly what happened. We said, well. Okay, we're we're doing all of that. This is the advice. We'll start a nonprofit so that these outreach activities can be conducted under the umbrella of a charitable organization and people will understand, you know, what that is and what that means. And so we went from um, doing it just as the owners of a retail business to forming a board and doing incorporating and doing everything you have to do to get your um, federal um, licensing and all. And so we do art programming and our focus is on young people. I always say that young people come with adults, so we don't exclude adults from programming. And if we're out in the community, say, doing a Roots and Heritage Festival here in Lexington or going to um, any other kind of event where they want to have um, art activities, free art activities for the public, we always invite adults to participate because Adults who don't call themselves artists will very often think that they shouldn't do this project. They'll, they'll have their kids there and we'll say, well, come on, you do this one too. And they'll say, oh, no, no, that's for the children. And we'll say, you can't cut and paste. You know, it's not a draw. We don't give them coloring books. We don't. Nothing's already set up for them. It's not real kit like when we go out. It's pretty free. Mm -hmm. So we always call it activity for kids of all ages. Nice. And, yeah. um, and always encourage adults to, to do these things. So, mm -hmm. so our focus is on young people, and mostly I would say we work with um, probably elementary more than older, older students, mm -hmm. but um, we have an art club group and that monthly group, and I think you mentioned that in your introduction, and that group is now has older students in it because they graduated from the fifth grade and decided to keep coming, so we actually have some ninth graders nice. in art club now. Nice. Yeah, so... That's our focus is really um, it's not we don't it's, it's not art just to teach art it's art because art to me art is a is a gene we all have <laughs> but art is a human character a human trait and we should express it and it has so much so much good so many good things happen just by expressing yourself and it doesn't have to be a career as an artist so we we try to do things that just keep people engaged in creative a creative process but they realize it ties to the community also mm. that you can do things i'll stop talking after this okay. <laughs> next question but for example with our art club kids we were um, someone approached me and said you know we've got these art bus stops in lexington and they're putting art in the bus stop creating shelters and putting mm -hmm. art in the bus stops mm -hmm. and so they've had adult artists do them and at one time one of the stops did have some work by young people so knowing that we work with young people someone approached me and said we'd like to put art by young people in this bus stop well, that was a great opportunity for our art club kids to learn about that neighborhood because that's they wanted some indication of that neighborhood. And it's a historically black um, community. Okay. Um, 
And so we got our art club kids. We took them down there. They, you know, they stood where the bus stop was so they could picture, you know, what's the artwork got to look like so you can see it across the street. Yes. Um, yeah. People are going to be going by in cars. Taking them out into the community as part, you know, part of it, taking the kids out into the community and letting them see and know and participate in how art can be part of a public conversation mm-hmm. um, or art can be a way of addressing um, issues. One of the things they're going to do started, but they uh, in the process of creating a little design that will be added to a mural about uh, honeybees. Okay. And it's painted on the wall of a building. It's a mural on a building. Mm-hmm. And the artist who's doing it wanted to engage children in the community so that they understand the plight right now mm-hmm. of bees mm-hmm. and how important they are. And so she's come already and had a talk with them about um, the bee popula- the reducing bee population. Mm-hmm. And they're working on a design that they then will will add to one little section, one small section of the mural. Um, so every chance we get to try to engage them in with art as being the connecting piece that they can all kind of work with, but there is a bigger issue. A lot of times it's nice. a something else. It's Art is just the foundation for, for the conversation maybe, um, or the underlying, underpinning of a conversation, but we try to have conversations and interactions and learning that has to do with more than art. Nice, nice. Yeah. I know. Oh, and I, I loved what you said about adults and trying to engage in adults and break down the barriers because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not an artist, so I should never pick up a paintbrush or, oh, you know, and yeah. they, they put oh, themselves in heart. <laughs> categories. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I love when we can break that down down and people can just see oh this is this is either just fun or I'm just trying to connect with another community member or I'm trying to express myself or hear what somebody else has to say and that it um you know which can all we can be very heavy but it can also be so light and I think that's great that you're trying to uh, engage the adults as well Mm -hmm. sometimes I say when's the last time you were playing (laughs) you know come on over here and play with us and I'm pretty good at getting people, I mean, not offending people with that. Mm. Um, it's not accusatory. It's just like, you know, when you were a kid, you were cutting and pasting or you were coloring with crayons. When's the last time you had some crayons in your hand and you drew some pictures? Yeah. And, you know, some people will walk right up and some people will say, no, thank you. But encouraged, what I find is encouraged a little bit. A lot of the adults that we encounter out there in those community things will go ahead and step up and do whatever it is that we have to offer. Encouraged, but if you just let them go and walk by, then they they keep going, or they stop and they watch their children. And horribly, occasionally, some of them stop and try to tell the children what to do oh, no. <laughs> on art making. Oh, no. But um, that's another reason I really like to get adults involved because if they're there with their kids yeah. and they and they happen to be a parent who might say, "Oh, why don't you add this or that?" If they're doing their own, hmm. they might not influence their child so much right. and some people do tr- influence their kids or their kids will look to them and say do you like this um and then they may say oh I mean I think they should say yes all the time mm-hmm. but that's one of the things I turn around on kids will ask me do you like this and I'll say do you like that yeah oh, that's good mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and you said that your classes are very freeform. So I'm imagining that you have tables set up with a bunch of materials. Do you have a lesson plan where you present something beforehand or do they just dive in? Um, how does it work in your classes? Usually there's at least a theme. Okay. Um, and it, it it could it might depend. Like we've done a couple of um, community uh, things where we've had stations for a community event, and one station might be sewing. And just to just because we know there's such a variety of people who might walk up and they need somewhere to start, we may have a simple doll form. Okay. And then a person or two there to help with needle and threading if they haven't done that. And or those who feel like they want to cut out something themselves and they can cut out something themselves. We've had um, what you basically described. Occasionally we'll have a table and it'll be the sculpture table and it'll just be stuff on there um, and they can put it together the the way they want. Um, And um, when we have like our Saturday art workshops, which are once a month, usually there's a theme for that day. So it's not just a whole, you know, table full of random random things to make a sculpture we might actually have we actually have a project um for them to do or something specific to work on uh recently we did and it was a bit of a sculpture um this was kind of a little freeform sculpture thing but one of the museums here does an annual um exhi- youth exhibit and they invite schools in the region they invite mostly elementary but elementary and middle school and they invite them to create something they call improbable baubles okay. and it's inspired by the museum's namesake Heedley Whit uh, it's the Heedley Whitney Museum mm-hmm. and George Heedley was a jeweler okay and he did these things and he named them bibelots and they're fanciful little little objects with no real purpose okay. and he would sometimes just buy maybe like a little jade sculpture of an animal and then he put rubies in for eyes and a diamond necklace on it Whoa. you know really <laughs> fanciful fun play it's just something he wanted to do along with jewelry designing and, and really um, gems and, and, and things that he really designed for people to wear but then he'd do these fun little things they call bibelots and so they started an exhibit to give youth give young people a chance to create what they and they decide to call them improbable baubles and they'd have a theme every year but and they you had to put some bling on it you know they give you various things to add a little bling to it um and then you create something fanciful to a theme and this year's theme was mythology mm. so um and then they've had under the war um, you know under sea themes and space themes or whatever and it's a great opportunity for kids to think about a subject matter but also contain contain the size like they don't let it get but so big cuz they're supposed to be small fanciful little fun things mm. uh, so we had a session so so while that was a little bit open it was still a lot of little parts for them to figure out what direction they wanted to go which i think challenges them somewhat too and and it's a little too challenging for some students some of them need more hand holding Mm -hmm. um to get started and sometimes i'm disappointed because they're older students but i realize in school their lessons are so specific yeah most of the time Mm -hmm. that they're used to being they're used to having very direct instructions sometimes Mm -hmm. to do this particular project this kind of way because they're going to be graded and if they're not doing 
a lot of out, art outside of classroom and, and playing on their own, that when they come to something that's kind of free form, they're little, sometimes they're a little at a loss where to start. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I found a lot of times. They're yeah. a little at a loss of where to start because they're so used to having directions. Yeah. Um, so I try to give, I try to start with some sort of theme and directions uh-huh. in most cases so that those who need that can really jump off and go. And those who don't need it so much can, they might look at me and say, I don't really want to make a, you know, you want an animal or you want a landscape and I don't want to make a landscape. And I'm like, okay, make what you want. Use the materials that are here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not getting grades. You should be enjoying this. Um, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So of all the art lessons that you put together, which one was your favorite? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite, but in general, mm-hmm. in general, I really like, reusing materials, mm. repurposing things. Okay. And um, it's it's not my favorite lesson, but a lesson I found I've done a lot of times is um, we've taken plastic bottles. And this is partly because of the, you know, there's so many, well, this is largely because there's so many plastic water and soda bottles in the environment, and it's such an issue. Mm. Um, we did a project, got a grant to do a project um, a couple of years ago, focusing on uh, plastic overuse. And so I started doing projects using reusing and repurposing plastics, and primarily ones that could be recycled, but the reality is they don't end up recycled. A lot of it doesn't end up recycled. Just take a little water bottle, a mm-hmm. water bottle or a soda bottle. Um, so we started um, doing a project where we just cut the bottles okay. and turn them into flowers. And then we put a cork in the neck of the of the bottle okay. and a stick, and it's and, and kids and adults actually like that project. And so, it's not necessarily my favorite project, but it's effective okay. and it reuses a material that there's a lot of. Mm. I used to collect the bottles, and there were so many that someone said, you know, you just gotta get rid of this. You can't keep all these <laughs> bottles all. And I realized. If I know enough in advance, I can send a thing, uh, send a little message out and say, I need some water bottles. And they will be accumulated for me because they are still used a lot. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we can easily, I found that I've done that project way more than I would have thought because Mm -hmm. it's um, really accessible and understandable and attacks that one, at least that one subject of plastic overuse and hopefully makes people think a little bit more about um, what's happening when they use a lot of individual bottles and then don't discard them appropriately. Even. Sure, sure. That's mm. become kind of a favorite, maybe not the favorite, but anything that uses kind of reuses materials. Since I collect so much stuff, it's nice to be able to reuse it. <laughs> we can be magpies, we artists. Can't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what my favorite uh, bit is. <laughs> cool, very cool. So what do you say most often to your students? Probably that um, it it's that that thing of do you like it? I say that a lot. Okay. Um, do you like it? Yeah. Uh, I say to them, mm, I don't say this exactly the same way all the time, but it's that thing of it's the process. Did you like doing it? If you don't like the end result, I understand that. That's okay. But you should have some fun. 
Um, you should explore and play and not so much worry about what ends up, but try some things. And did you have any fun doing that? And a lot of times I'll get yes to that, mm. even though they might not have liked the end result. It didn't come out like they wanted. Um, so I usually try to focus on playing and exploring when I'm talking with them. And do you like it? Not do I like it? And then I'll tell them it's about you expressing yourself and don't, I try to keep them from judging themselves. Yeah. So I'll say, I'll say that to them. Don't, don't be harsh about it. You were just exploring and playing or they're doing it for the first time mm-hmm. and they're having a fit because it's not right. I like, do you play music? And yeah. Do you what instrument? I'll ask them, do you play an instrument? And they'll yeah. say, yeah. And I'll say, which one? Oh, you know, violin. Did you play it really well the first time? No, but you kept going. Yeah. And so that's what this is like. I'll, I just try to remind them of things like, you know, kind of like that. And that it is no right and wrong. It's just, just do it. It's not right. It's not wrong. And I'm not grading them, which is yeah. good because I was in school and I had to give them a grade. There would be some rights and wrongs yeah. or ways they shouldn't be doing it for the lesson. But in our case, in the, I have chosen not to be in that environment where I have to grade things. So I find that I can be, I don't know, you grade things, don't you? I no, don't know what the, I don't, no, I don't. No, you don't? No, I don't. No, you don't? Okay. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have to grade mm-hmm. and I don't want to grade and I think yeah. it lets it be freer and I can, I can remind them. But I do say occasionally, you know... There's no right and wrong unless you're in school and you've been told to do a certain thing and you haven't done that thing, then that can be wrong. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no right and wrong. and It's about Mm -hmm. you liking what you're doing. And if you don't like it, then figuring out how to do it in a way that gets out what you have in mind, you know, just exploring. Very good. It's so much judgment. I do it to myself still as an adult and I have to, Mm -hmm. I have to do Mm self-talk and people talk to me sometimes and I say to them, Wow, you sound like me talking to the kids. <laughs> Reminding them, it's not about that final thing. It's like getting along the way there. Yeah, yeah, so. it's tough because, you know, in in school we we want to instill in kids a a desire to to learn and do their best, and and so that's why they instituted grades. I'm sure so that yeah. they they will. They'll have a goal to shoot for, but then yeah. it also is, uh, in some negative ways, conditioned us to be very critical and to, then to sometimes not even start things because, yeah. well, what yeah. if we did it wrong? And I think a lot of adults, they have a dream of being an artist of whatever form, maybe musician, maybe painter, maybe whatever, but then they don't start because they're so afraid of, of not yeah. being correct. And, um, and right away. Yeah, and right away. And they're very harsh yeah. on themselves. I quite agree. Very harsh on themselves. And, and and that's the other things that kids will say sometimes, too, is not just do you like it, but is this right? I like, I just, the only thing I can think to say is, is that what you were trying to do? Yeah. Is that what you wanted to happen? Uh-huh. And if it's not, what were you trying to do? Maybe there's another way you can approach it and then kind of work with them on that. Um, but they will ask, is this right? I'm like, <laughs> Was it what you wanted? Yeah. So I, you know, going back, I probably taught my first class with kids in 2001. And I went into um, an environment where it was really a, it was a, it was a workshop, like summer workshops. And so it was a classroom, Mm -hmm. but still not graded. And I went in and I I think my first class, I got a little bit crushed maybe because I was, I just couldn't believe that the kids couldn't just take off and make stuff. Um, 
and I had a very loose lesson. I don't remember what it was, but it was wasn't a whole lot of instruction. Okay. It was more of a here's the materials and I want you to make a certain category of something. But anyway, you want to make it. Mm-hmm. And so when I talked to the person who led the center and she, you know, she just basically said, well, you know, you got a bunch of ki- you do have kids who, who need a lot of structure. They don't know how to get started because they don't do art mm-hmm. normally at home. They're doing it in school. And the more I went on teaching workshops, the more I saw exactly what she was saying. And yes, there are kids who can jump in and want to and don't want much guidance, right. but there are a lot of kids who need it. So I'm that's why I try to structure whatever it is with I try to have enough structure for those who need it, but be free enough for those who don't need it. Um, And some that's a balance sometimes. And I've I've I have changed up every now and then I float back and forth between showing an example and not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I show an example. They want to make the example. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And yet if I don't show an example, sometimes the project won't develop as well because they haven't. Yeah. They haven't done anything quite like it, and they don't know how to think their way through it. So I haven't quite got that figured out. Yeah, I've I've had the same problem. And the the program that I work for at the Art Center, the Indianapolis Art Center, they encourage us to do demonstrations or to show the students how to do it beforehand. But But I found that a lot of the kids, if I did an example of I'm making a cut little stained glass piece that's it's cut out of paper or whatever you know fake glass (laughs) let's imagine that I'm making that project and if I did a little sunshine and I show them that as the demo well then suddenly I have all of them or half of them doing a sunshine and then they're not yes they're not making their own so what I started doing is when I am going to have a demonstration before I start that we brainstorm ideas and we'll have a jumping off point where you know maybe we look off we look at some pieces from different art history we say oh what ideas would you guys do and I let them think for a second and then we write all the ideas down on the board and they're brainstorming 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 and then I show them my little demo and then when they're coming to the table to do it themselves they already had had an idea so they don't they're not attached to my idea and that's the only idea they can see in their mind (laughs) so that's one I one thing I've done that has helped with that process um good I'm gonna try that yeah but uh, I don't think I've quite done it that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'll remember that and I'll try that because uh, because they are heads. They have ideas. Uh-huh. But, you know, with any any one of us, it's like when we're I love facilitated um, meetings where you're mm-hmm. supposed to be brainstorming, where you write down. Everybody has time first to write down their thoughts yes. and then you put them up and then you sort of look at them all. Because as soon as somebody else starts talking, it can hijack your thought <laughs> I mean if your thought can just go flying out your head or you know it, it gets attached to something and changes or it or you don't say it yeah. because you realize you heard this other thought and maybe you liked it better but yours never got expressed and somebody might have liked yours better so it is good to get let everybody kind of think and see and decide and I can see how that would that that would work then they don't have that one thing sort of right bright in their yeah. in their head yeah. And, yeah and then you know when you've got a whole bunch of ideas particularly if you're trying to come to a consensus to do a project together so it's not individual yeah. pieces but a project together and we really need to figure out the best idea to work with if everybody can brainstorm and then we bring them all to the table then the great ideas are really going to surface to the top and this is one of the reasons when we were in that class together at the 
the storytelling conference, Mm -hmm. um, one of the gentlemen there made a statement after we talked about one of the stories, and he said, our diversity makes us stronger. And I, mm-hmm. oh, I just keep thinking about that. And this is one of those ways because you know, we all have a voice and we all say different ideas and then we can bring them all to the table and we can learn from each other and then we can come up with the best solution to any problem. This is my ideal hope anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yes. but yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a good way to do it. Mm. Okay. And there's techniques for, yeah, techniques for letting that diversity be expressed because you're going to have diversity in a room and one voice can dominate. Yes. Uh, So, yeah. 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 And, and then, and people don't necessarily see that that's what's happening, but yeah, I know exactly (laughs) what you mean. (laughs) Oh dear. So, mm. well, thank you for sharing your idea too. I'm going to, I'm going to work at it a little differently because I really, I, I know that this uh, the kids kids have imagination and all. Sometimes yeah. it's just like stoking it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta come on, it's in there. Let's get it out of there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got, just gotta yeah. poke them a little bit and say, we want to hear yeah, your yeah. voice. We want to hear your ideas because we yeah, know you've yeah. got them deep down there. So it's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, what advice would you give to your younger artist self? Oh, I thought, well, let's see. I would probably say play more. <laughs> play more. Don't be so serious. Mm. Um, since I really didn't start making art with any, I really didn't start making art until I was older. If I was able to talk to my younger artist self, I hope that my younger artist self would be even younger. <laughs> I don't know how it's do that. <laughs> um, but I think play more. I think I think making art is is playing and exploring. And sometimes I've sat down to work on something and I'm just too serious about it and I get stuck in it. And if I just try to stay loose and play, then um, I, I don't know. I think that's. That's probably it. Um, and one reason I say that is I remember one time that, that getting stuck in a path. I had an idea in mind. In fact, I had a title for a work of art. Hmm. Didn't know how I was going to make it or anything, but it was collage. Okay. But it was starting with some painting. And I so I started the painting um, just to get color on the paper and all. And for some reason, that one was mostly headed towards being some sort of a painting more than a collage. And I, it just kept getting worse and worse. Oh, no. And I didn't like it. I didn't know how to fix it. And I wouldn't give up. And a friend who's an artist came over and she said, let me see what you're working on. I told her, no. I said, you can't see what I'm working on. I don't like it. And then she told me she wasn't going to be my friend anymore. If I didn't <laughs> to see what I was working on. Oh, that's so. harsh. <laughs> now, that's a friend. So, <laughs> so I said, okay, I gave in. And then, and then she went and looked at it. And she said, so what are you having? What's bothering you? And I said, it's just, you know, it's too dark. I can't seem to figure out what I want to do. And she said, tear it up. And I, well, before she said tear it up, she said, go take it to a copier and make copies of it. Make copies in different, change the, you know, contrast and stuff. Just get pictures of it and change it in a way that was like saying play with the image. Don't get rid of the image. Just keep playing with it. Make copies, do this, do that. And then finally, if you get 
through all of that and you still can't figure out or you still don't like it, tear it up. You are a collage artist. Tear it up and use the pieces. Okay. And I did just what she said. I went and made all the copies and I looked at them and I decided, nah. I even made some on transparency. That's what she suggested too. Mm. And I looked at it and I decided it just isn't working. It's just not working. And so I just took a deep breath and I tore it up. Mm. Um, and if I hadn't been so hard and fixed, I try to remember that all the time. I try to remember that when I feel like I'm going down this road and I'm determined it's going to be so-and-so and it's not working. Uh-huh. I go back. I, I remember that that how she told me to go do this and do that. And to me, it was saying, play with it some more, let go a little and play with it. And um, I think I needed to try that sooner. That's the only thing I can think of. I would tell myself to play more and don't be so tight about it. <laughs> tight and serious about it. Yeah, very yeah. good. I'll tell myself that too. I know I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite art book or story? Oh, you know, because of something I'm doing right um, right now, I'm doing a workshop, after school workshop with third graders, and their theme is West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I've decided to, um, I've used the um, Anansi, Anansi the spider mm-hmm. story about mm-hmm. how, how the eight legs got so thin. Okay. And, uh, I like, there's a lot of Anansi tales, folk tales and all, but I like that one because for me, it lets me let the kids play in the story. And so while, and lets me play with the story, I don't tell stories um, much or anything, but I like, I like this one. And you, and you can, since Anansi's out, you know, checking out various, uh, checking out all the neighbor's food and who's eating what and that kind of thing, then I can let the kids build on the story um, by saying, okay, now it's your turn. Where did Anansi go next and what did he have to eat? And they have a good time adding in, you know, whatever it is that they actually, like somebody came up with, um, I don't know whether it was pork and beans or uh, uh, eggs and bacon or or they had turkey and whatever. So I don't know, just right now it's it's on my mind because we've been um, using it for uh, is is part of this West African art after school art program, and the kids um, have fun. Okay, you know, adding adding to the story. So uh, I guess I just say that for the moment. Okay, yeah. and what what's the? I don't know the end of that story. I can't remember what happens he, to Anansi. Oh, he's well. So he 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 rambles along or ambles along, stopping mm-hmm. here and there, and each place he stops. To check out the food, he says, I don't want, to. he says he's not going to stay right then because the food's not ready. And so tie, a, I'm going to spin a little web and tie a piece of web on the pot of food and a piece on my leg. And he ends up with a web tied to every single one of the eight legs. Oh, my goodness. He, okay. Yes. And then he gets down to the river. And so he's sort of sitting there, like, patting himself on the back and boasting to himself about how He's got all these eight delicious things he's going to eventually get to eat. And then one web pulls on one leg and he gets, you know, oh, yeah, I can go over here and eat some sweet potatoes now. But before the thought practically is out of his head, another leg and then another leg. And then all eight legs are being pulled and stretched and to the point of. And so he he has to just has to figure out what to do because he's about to lose his legs or 
and they're getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier, and he hurls himself into the river because he's sitting oh, next to the river okay. completely. He hurls himself into the river with his last strength or whatever, and the web just sort of melts away off of all of his legs, which saves him from legs being pulled out, but that's how the legs got so skinny. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, and so... Okay, well, the way we tell the story, we can stop with the kids. I stop after the second so they have a chance to put on some more. Or else the spider ends up with, sometimes the spider ends up with 16 legs, but that's okay. (laughs) 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 It lets them them be creative and add, you know, sounds and food and whatever until he gets to the end. Okay, okay. So So that's how the legs got so skinny because he kept tying webs on to to get back to the food when it was ready. Oh, goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's all coming back to me now because there's so many yeah. of those oh. Anansi stories. And, oh, um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I like that one because I feel like it, it's reminding me of when I have too many um, coals in the fire, so to speak, or I, I have too much going on and then I spread myself too thin yes. because I've made too many commitments to uh-huh all the things going on in my life. That's what it reminds me of. Does it remind you of, of that or? Well, except for motivation there. Mm. I do that. And I do, I do feel pulled and pressed and stretched, Mm. um, with, um, and I know I shouldn't have gotten into all of that. So, you know, that's kind of tough with the Anansi, with Anansi, at least we didn't, he, he had a little deception in his, whereas <laughs> you and I would make these commitments and be pulled and stretched and have to figure out how to get out of it or how to resolve it. Or I shouldn't sure. say get out of it, but how to resolve it. But it wouldn't have had deception in the process. He was trying to avoid, he was being greedy, yeah. I guess. And he was trying to avoid doing any work by staying while they were cooking and mm-hmm. things like that. So, um, but yeah, that being pulled in all directions and having to, you know, multitasking feels like that. I don't like multitasking, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah, that's that kind of feel that you're being stretched in, you know, so many different ways yeah. Yeah. that we have to learn. We have to say no sometimes. We do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to do things. I know I get excited. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be part of that. I want to go there. Yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to yeah, do that. And then the time's getting closer and I go, how the heck am I going to work that in? I know. I, I haven't got the other one done yet. It's, oh my goodness. No, only so much time in the day, and it's hard to decide which of our projects we're going to focus on because quality yes. can be better than quantity, right? So we want to focus, yeah. but and I'm hard. just a little older, and I still haven't quite learned some of my lessons. <laughs> I thought I was supposed to get wisdom. As you get older, you're supposed to get some wisdom and yeah. stuff, but. I still, I, I'm a, I would say I'm a lifelong learner, and I think, you know, working with kids too, I think. They, they're, they're just, they're starting mm-hmm. and these youngsters are, they're starting, they have a life, they have a life to go to learn. And I hope that, I, I guess with involving them with art is just a process, it's another way of learning and being connected. And I hope sometimes that I can just in, help infuse them with some enthusiasm or help, help them keep growing or keep nurturing that enthusiasm they might have for learning. Some things are going to fall off of their menu. They don't want to learn about that. Well, heck, there's a lot of stuff I didn't want to learn about. But, you know, if you present it with things, at least you have an opportunity to, you know, absorb something from that or you've had an exposure. And so. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, um, and I think it's because you have that attitude of, I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to keep growing and, and, 
and pushing myself and and getting to the next stage that this makes you such a wise person, Sonia. (laughs) And I'm so glad that you talked to me today and shared your wisdom with us. So thank you. Many thanks. It was my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Thanks again, Sonia Brooks. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And now for our story of the day. This is a folktale from Britain. It's called The Vinegar Bottle. If you're curious about the history of the tale, uh, there's many renditions of The Vinegar Bottle, and I combined this story with another folktale that's called The Magic Fish. Once upon a time, there was a woman who inherited a piece of land out in the woods. When she arrived on the spot, she found there was no house for her to live in. For several days, she slept out under the stars, shivering in the cold. Luckily, a hiker walked by, and out of his sack fell a large green glass bottle to the ground. I could make this my home, thought the woman. She squeezed herself inside the bottle. Now, while the woman brought rugs and pillows into the bottle, tried to make it as comfy and as cozy as possible, it was still a very cramped abode, as you could imagine. She sat outside of her house, sighing to herself, and she said, Oh, what a pity it is that I live in this teeny tiny green glass bottle. I wish I could live in a cozy country cottage with a thatched roof and roses climbing up around the door. Oh, if I had that, I would be so happy. Now the woman didn't know it, but a little fairy was sitting upon her shoulder. The fairy declared, well, if that's what she wants, that's what she can have. In an instant, the bottle was replaced with a cozy country cottage with a thatched roof and roses climbing up around the door. The woman was so ecstatically happy that the fairy flew away. Now the fairy, she flew to the north, she flew to the south, she flew to the east, and she flew to the west. A few weeks later, she came to sit upon the woman's shoulder again. This time, the woman was saying to herself, Oh, what a pity it is that I live in such a small little country cottage. I wish I lived in a golden palace with servants to help me cook and clean. Oh, if I had that, I would be so happy. And the fairy declared, well, if that's what she wants, that's what she can have. In an instant, the cottage was replaced with a golden palace. It had servants and horse-drawn carriage to take the woman anywhere she wanted to go. The woman was ecstatically happy. The fairy flew away. Now the fairy flew to the north, she flew to the south, she flew to the east, and she flew to the west. A few weeks later, she came to sit upon the woman's shoulder again. This time the woman was saying to herself, "Mm, What a pity it is that I am not queen of the land. If I were in charge, the kingdom would of course run so smoothly. The fairy declared, well, if that's what she wants, that's what she can have. In an instant, 
the woman had a sparkling crown placed atop her head. She was queen of the land. The woman was ecstatically happy. The fairy flew away. Once again, the fairy flew to the north. She flew to the south. She flew to the east, and she flew to the west. A few weeks later, she came to sit upon the woman's shoulder again. This time, the woman was saying to herself, Oh, what a pity it is that the sun rises so early in the morning, and it sets so late at night. Mm. The stars, they could be more twinkly. The moon could be more luminescent. Yes, I wish I was queen of the sun and the moon and the stars. Oh no, thought the fairy. No one can be queen of the sun and the moon and the stars. The fairy hung her head in sorrow. In an instant, the woman was back to where she had started. She had only a green glass bottle for a home. She had used up all of the wishes of her good fairy. My thoughts on this story. So, just as it's not possible for all of our wishes to come true, it's not possible to do all of our creative endeavors. Most of you listening are artists, and we, we all have so many artistic dreams, and like wishes, we have to choose them. Carefully select your creative projects so that you don't run out of steam. We make our wishes come true with our own hard work. And quality is better than quantity. This story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. Thanks, everyone. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.